Hey, we're doing a two-a-day today. A Thursday, Friday Eve, two-a-day. This will be a free-for-all episode. If you can hear the fan, uh, well, it just makes you feel like you're with me. If you can hear the, the Vortex fan in the background, it's just there to make you feel like you're in the room with me. It's funny how we take for granted the fact that we can control wind. We buy these devices and place them strategically around our house because we are controlling wind. We are practicing deity yoga. We are basically becoming one with the Lord of Wind. Lord Wind, the Wind God. You know, we're like, hey, you know, this thing that blows around outside, I'm going to get just a little bit of that. I'm going to get just a little bit of that and have a controlled, focused force of wind in my home. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things like that, though. We are little gods in a lot of different ways. We do practice deity yoga without even realizing it. And maybe it's better that we don't realize it. Although it can be fun to realize it. You know, when you realize that turning on the lights makes you the god of lightning. You can just go on and on with it, turning on the faucet. What does debating make you, though? What deity are you channeling when you debate? Are you the god of logic? There's probably some... There's got to be something like that. I feel like Odin or, you know, some sort of... There's always got to be some sort of god who's more cerebral. I've been thinking about debate, though, as the debates rage on, as they always do, but as they've gotten more intense and severe as they're almost entirely arguments these days. I don't often see debates. Because the weird thing about having a debate is you kind of have to powder the other person's face throughout it to stop it from turning into a fight or an argument. You kind of have to stop and compliment someone. Even if you disagree with them, you kind of have to say, oh yeah, I see what you mean there. Oh, yeah, you know, at least you should. Although it feels so false. It's almost like you have to pepper a debate with these false compliments in order to stop it from boiling over. Unless you go in knowing that it's a debate, you go in knowing that there is mutual respect, but that's something that's missing more and more. And I can only speak from my own lifetime, my own lifetime of experience, and... It does seem that it's missing more and more, or at least it's more noticeable, maybe because of the hyper-communication, the hyper-visibility of the hyper commute, the hyper-visibility of the hyper-communication, <laughs> the hyper-everything of the hyper-anything, but, uh, you know, it, maybe it's just that that I'm noticing, but... I noticed that on the rare occasion when I do get into a debate about something, let's say it's online, sometimes it's over the phone. If it's, if it's over the phone or in person, it's always with somebody, though, who knows I respect them and they know I respect them, too. Although that doesn't always save you. I've had some intense fights. I mean, there's a reason why significant others don't often get into debates. They get into arguments. They get into fights. 
debate when couples have debates they're like annoying political you know they the couples who read chomsky together or something real couples have fights not debates but when it's with your friends things can get kind of heated you know i can think of a couple friends or sometimes we'll talk over each other and yell at each other and it, it's always with respect even if there's a shut the fuck up in there and in those cases, though, you don't have to really powder the other person's face. And that's a phrase that I, I started using many years ago when I was in college. And I would go, when I would have a new drug dealer, a weed dealer, I wasn't buying serious drugs. I was buying that thing that's now legal. But you used to have to use an illegal network to obtain. And I, I, anytime I had a new weed dealer, because very rarely was I close friends with any weed dealers, usually it was an acquaintance of an acquaintance. And because of that, I was always insecure. I was always afraid that I was going to lose them. <laughs> I had uh, I had abandonment issues with weed dealers. Never had abandonment issues with women. I've always had abandonment issues with weed dealers because one day they just stop answering the phone. Some days they, and then eventually it got to text messages. And some days they don't text you back. Sometimes they never do, and you never get an explanation why. Did they stop doing it? Did they stop selling the weed? Did they, what did they, they did not like you? Did you say the wrong thing? So I would kind of try to compliment, not, and not be weird about it, but I would just try to, you know, like I said, powder their face. And I don't know why I came up with that phrase. I guess it comes from the old-timey woman. You know, the husband comes in, it's like, I'm taking you out to dinner tonight. And uh, the woman's like, well, let me just powder my face or powder my nose. Whatever it is, somehow I mutated that into just powdering someone's face. And basically it means when you're giving someone cheap compliments or you're not even giving them compliments, but just kind of trying to make sure that they know you like or approve of them, powdering their face. So I used to do that with weed dealers so that they wouldn't ignore me when I called them. Why? I don't know. It's kind of a weird reverse psychology of what we normally have in capitalism where the idea is the salesman powders your face. The salesman peppers you with cheap, hollow compliments because he's trying to sell you something. So it was kind of weird that I was the buyer complimenting, powdering the face of the seller. Don't normally have that. But when the seller has all the power... When the seller has that sweet weed, that sweet jungle mint that you want, I guess maybe, you know, the it's role reversal. Don't have to do that at the weed stores now. You don't have to do that at the legal weed stores we got in Washington. You go in and not say a word. You go in and be rude. I wouldn't do that. But you don't have to powder anybody's face. You don't. You don't have to powder, you know... There's all those 21-year-old girls named Kaylin who are like 5 feet tall, 100 pounds, and they all work at the weed store. You don't have to powder their faces. They're sweet, though. Those girls, there's a lot of really sweet girls who work at the weed stores. I haven't been in a while. I'm not smoking weed these days. But whenever I go, you know, you just there's just genuine, nice, young girls there. Um, but... Uh, I'm sure a lot of people pay them. I'm, there's, there's, there's so many people powdering their faces these days that I don't need to do it. You know, I, I already did my time. 
I powdered that guy's face who kept a loaded AK-47 in his living room and made me watch snowboarding videos. I powdered his face enough to where I don't have to powder the legal weed bud, the bud tenders. The bud tenders. I don't have to powder their faces. But, but anyway, debate. I was talking about debates, and that's something that you kind of have to do, too. You kind of have to pepper a debate with compliments these days. And maybe it's always been a technique, but it's kind of like, that was a great point. And, and you know, I often mean it, because you should be learning something. Because I actually love it when somebody makes a point in a debate where you're suddenly like, oh, wow, I actually have to figure out this equation. They actually, like when someone stumps you for a second and you have to find that, it's like a Tetris piece that you have to fit into a, a little a little crack, a little nook. You have to be very nimble. Sometimes a discussion, a debate can be that way where you have to, you know, if it's online, if it's through an email, you look at it for a little while. You kind of look at it like it is some sort of Tetris, that you, it's like a maze that you have to find your way through. And in person, that can be more difficult because you kind of have to... Fortunately, you're all... Everybody who's, who's having a, some sort of heated discussion or debate in person, fortunately, everybody's on the hot seat. But um, when you have time to think about it, that's fun. I enjoy that. Um, so I, I do enjoy... I, I do enjoy kind of feeling like the chips are down sometimes and i don't like the word debate because it makes me think of debate team or it makes me think of a couple who has these like pre-planned debates over dinner do couples do that <laughs> am i just am i just imagining that am i imagining that there's like some young couple college educated couple and they have this pre-planned debate Maybe that's how they get. That's how they get off. I don't know, um, but I don't like to use the word debate because it's like I'm just trying to think of a better word. Basically, what I mean is just like a disagreement where you go back and forth. And at the end of a, a debate, I always feel the need to say I learned something because I usually do. I usually do, even if I still feel that I'm right, and of course I am. I still feel that I learned something. Because often that's what, you know, when you get into one of those moments where you're stumped for a second, those are usually the moments where you actually learn something about your own argument. It's almost like improv. It's improvised thinking where you're suddenly like, you know, I never thought about it this way, but this actually brings the whole, this brings everything full circle. But I do worry that just the understanding that precedes a debate is just not there at this point. And, yeah, and you do have to kind of give someone these false compliments in order to stop it from getting too heated. Because even if you do, even if you do that, even if it is amicable, there are moments where you feel that tension, where you don't feel so good. And I think of tension as temptation. Whenever I feel tension, it's because I'm tempted in some way. Like if I'm having an argument with somebody or just a heated discussion and I feel tension, it's because I'm tempted to escalate it or I'm tempted to... 
I'm tempted to take it personally. And it kind of goes into like sexual tension as well, where when someone feels sexual tension, it's often some form of temptation too. And uh, when I and I think of tension also as a, as a, a sort of a test. There's all these T words. You know what tension is? It's a it's temptation. It's a test. It's a testament. It's a testament to temptation. Um, sort of is though. Whenever I feel tension, it's I feel like it's it's the universe's way of kind of prodding me, saying like, react, react. Let's see how much restraint you really have. You know that voice that the universe has. Let's see how much restraint you really have. And uh, and I think sometimes the best thing to do is stay restrained, keep yourself restrained. And not give in, not escalate it, not get personal. Because it's so easy to do that. And you end up not learning anything. Your, your pride gets in the way. Because your pride's already in the way. It's so hard when you lose an argument. It, it can be fun, though. I mean, you can embrace this, this almost masochistic side of losing an argument. You don't hear about that kink. The kink of losing arguments, although I think a lot of people have it. A lot of people have that kink. They just don't realize it. It's like it's almost like being cuckolded or something. It's like psychic cuckolding. Deliberately losing arguments, starting arguments that you know you're going to lose just so that you lose them and you feel that shame and humiliation. And those people are around. You should be careful of those people. Because, you know, you might think, oh, I won the argument. But you don't realize that they laid down. They played dead. You didn't win nothing. You just satisfied you satisfied someone's kink. You don't want to do that. Or maybe you do. Maybe you do. Um, you know, with the moral panic going on, It's interesting to think about the presumptions that go along with that. The idea that someone thinks they know what you're getting out of something. And I know that I've been talking about this lately. I know a lot of people are. But just to go back to an early moral panic, one of the first moral panics that I was aware of, you know, the satanic panic, which rhymes, which is nice. And the idea that Satanic metal or satanic music, satanic imagery was corrupting the youth. And it was tempting them toward the dark side. And in a lot of cases it was, you know, a lot of what the Christian right, the fundamentalist right, was trying to stop, trying to censor, and succeeding to some degree. What they were trying to ban from Walmart's CD section in many ways was sort of this temptation, hey, there's that word, uh, for the youth. They were going to wear their Slayer shirts and you know draw pentagrams on things. But what's interesting about that is you can look at satanic art and music and say, couldn't it also be setting an example to show you, to, you know, a way of saying, hey, this is real and you should fight it, you should stay away from it? It's kind of like the idea of having a bad guy in a movie or a story. You know, by 
being like by being a satanic metal band, couldn't that also be saying, "Hey, we're showing you that that the forces of Satan are real, and you should be scared of them." You know, that could be one motivation for doing it. I mean, I don't think any bands were really doing that. Very few, at least. But someone could be listening to it for those reasons. They, that's kind of my approach to it at this point. On the rare occasion that I listen to something that is just outright satanic, very rare these days, but when I do, I kind of approach it as just, this is an example of Satanism. Not, I'm not endorsing it. I'm not participating in it. I'm simply observing it. And shouldn't that be the approach to many things? And and people tend to have that approach to movies. You know, granted the fundamentalist Christian right wanted to ban horror movies, Harry Potter. Now it turns out the far left wants to, <laughs> you know, basically ban Harry Potter, at least ban the author, at least forget her. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's funny, though, how it's funny what people are willing to accept and what they're not, I guess, or what they're willing to justify. Because I know a lot of people who are either very uncomfortable, if not outright opposed to, let's just say, skinhead music, let's say Nazi music. They don't think that it should be allowed to exist. But yet they'll listen to death metal. You know, they'll listen to music that is just completely grotesque and murderous. And it's not like murder and violence isn't real. It's actually more common than Nazism. More people have died throughout history through just outright murder than through genocide most likely. I don't know, and they're all the same. I mean, it's like splitting hairs even. So it's just a strange distinction that people are willing to make where it's like, Cannibal Corpse is fine. Screwdriver, eh. You know, that's just kind of the way our culture has evolved. But it's, it's strange how certain things are justifiable where it's like horrible things. Absolutely horrible, horrific things, and I'm not opposed to any of them existing, because I'm pretty much a free speech absolutist. I really don't feel that anything should be stopped. And, and looking at something like neo-Nazis, I may have made this point before, but what gets me about them is they don't, they don't have much political weight. And people who have decided that they, people whose lives revolve around opposing Nazism and calling everybody they disagree with Nazis, they would disagree with me for saying that. But it's like there are no current examples of neo-Nazi governments or even just national socialist governments in existence. You know, that died out with Hitler and the Third Reich. So there aren't any lasting examples and while people do get sucked into that world, they're almost exclusively people with a lot of misgivings and hatred 
it's very rarely people who are living good, upstanding lives by example who get pulled into neo-Nazism. And while angry young men are a force to be reckoned with, and they, of course, attract a certain type of woman, and there are little mini subcultures and communities that were or are based around this stuff, it's not viable. And people choose it because it's sort of a fetish. It's an aesthetic. It's something to identify with. But it doesn't... I'd be shocked if that actually gained momentum in our world again. But yet a lot of people would have thought it would be shocking for communism, under the name communism, not even hiding, to gain momentum. But we still have examples of it. It never died out. We have North Korea, we have China, I believe Venezuela. I'm not sure if there are other countries, but... And, you know, with my generation, too... I was five years old, I believe, when the wall fell. You know, I, I haven't lived consciously in a world where the Soviet Union was around. You know, I was so young when the Soviet Union went away that I don't know what that was actually like. And people who were of age then have a much different attitude toward communism. And it's not necessarily the reactionary, McCarthyist sort of... Uh, communist phobia it's just sort of not something that they consider it doesn't it's not viable to them yeah there are older socialists who lean toward communism and this and that there are college professors but in general you know it's there's a a younger generation who didn't grow up with the Soviet Union and didn't see the atrocities that the Soviet Union committed. And I don't, I don't know that the older generations did either, but the older generations seem to be more aware of, at the very least, the downsides of Soviet communism, whereas there's this whole new generation that didn't really learn all the ins and outs. They learned all the ins and outs of Hitler and National Socialism, but I don't know that the extent of communist atrocity was taught to most people who weren't seeking that information. And it's out there, and it's not—it shouldn't be controversial. Yeah, some of the numbers people debate a little bit. They debate over some of the numbers of deaths, systematic deaths. But we know it was a lot. And we know, we know that the justifications were flimsy, and the results were horrific— but yet there's a lot of people who are still willing to literally fly that banner, to hold up the hammer and sickle, and they don't think much of it. And it is viable. Unlike neo-Nazism, which I don't think is viable. Uh, I think this neo-communism does have some viability. I think our world is malleable, enough that uh, that's worked its way in. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, nobody wants to hear me talk about politics. Nobody wants to hear me talk about politics. I'll save it for my debates with my wife. My wife and I happen to love debating politics over dinner. 
I just have to make sure to throw in enough compliments. But, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, it's, it's just a, we're at this point, though, where it's, it's like we don't, we can't even really have constructive debates. I mean, they exist, but, you know, everyone's so quick to make assumptions, too. Everyone's so quick to react. You know, the immediacy with which we react to things is so detrimental. And I, I don't like to get on this kick where it's like just talking about all of the things that suck. But I guess this is my show for saying the things I like and saying the things I don't like and saying the things I wish were better. But it, this, the the immediacy of, in, of information, the hyper speed with which information comes to us causes us to give hyper reactions. Again, hyper everything, hyper anything. And the problem is is that we react to things before we have the full scoop. We're trying to eat the ice cream off the ice cream cone before the the ice cream vendor has finished scooping it out of the tub. Kind of feels that way. You know, you see, I mean, something happened the other day where uh, there's a, a well-known, I guess you'd call him a centrist, who is fighting the good fight, and he's he's very active on Twitter, and his Twitter account was temporarily disabled because of, quote-unquote, suspicious activity, and it came on the heels, and this guy's not even remotely conservative, but it came on the heels of various conservatives being banned, and this guy had recently got a lot of publicity for the points he is making, the fight he is fighting. And so it was a little suspicious that his account was temporarily disabled, but it could also have been something like his account was hacked or, you know, it could have been anything. But immediately there was this reaction where it was like, Twitter banned him, see? They're banning everybody. And it is a concern, you know, it is a concern that Twitter has banned people for very flimsy reasons. Back to flimsy justifications again. But people were very... It was like people wanted him to be banned. Like, people who like him, it almost seemed like they were... It's masochistic again. You know, I know it's a popular word on this show lately, but there's a lot of masochism out there. And I could kind of... I got the sense that there was almost... People almost wanted to think that he was banned for some political reason so that they could be outraged, because that's so popular, is being outraged at anything you can, reacting. Let me express my outrage. Let me react. Dear God, let me react. You know, it's, it's sort of how we are, how we're wired. And, uh, you know, it turned out, I don't know, his account got re-enabled. I don't know if there was ever a story to it. But you could see in that immediate moment, in that day, in that hour... There was this this just entire subgroup of people who were just like, "Oh, look, look what look what they're doing to us." And it's similar to what happens with these hate hoaxes that tend to happen quite often, where the news comes out. There's a noose in the garage. There's a noose in in the the race car driver's garage. And then it turns out it was a pulley 
took a few days, took an FBI investigation to determine that this thing had been tied that way for half a year. Here I am talking about some, I'm talking about last month's current events, but still it's that sort of situation where you react to the news. Oh my God, look at how racist NASCAR is. That's the story that they want. Because we know how NASCAR, we know how NASCAR fans are. We all know how NASCAR fans are. NASCAR. Uh, but it's that sort of thing where you got to react right away. Don't wait for the investigation. Don't wait for more information. And when you react, you invest. And even if you accept that you were wrong, you can't admit it. You're almost in a debate with an invisible force that you can't see at that point. And maybe that's a good segue because we are doing that now. We throw things out there. We throw our opinions out there and we get into this. We're in a debate with things we can't see. And then these people materialize out of that invisible wall and they say, I disagree. You're wrong. You suck. And I don't again I don't get sucked into this. I don't I don't participate in this, but I, I witness it. And that plays out in the way we interact with each other. Because these things aren't wholly separate, not as much as they used to be at least. Because it used to be somebody could say That's just happening on the internet. That's not real life. And next thing you know, they're mirroring each other. They are coalescing more and more, especially with situations like quarantine, where you're either going to isolate more by not connecting with people, which can be good. It's, again, like turning loneliness into a discipline of independence, which you can do, but you also may have to use these things to connect with people more, but the way that you're connecting with people is purely through this digital realm. Which I'm not against. I'm not against that. I don't think that we need... I think there is something to be said for being face-to-face, but I don't think that connection depends on our material bodies. I think there's much more to us than that. And, uh, you know, you don't have to get into a soul discussion about it, but I think there is more to it than just our material bodies, even though it's wonderful when our material bodies can sit in a room together. But, uh, you know, the tension right now, the tension of coronavi quarantine, quarantine, that's how I'm going to start pronouncing it, like Clementine, quarantine. Uh, you know, the the tension of coronavi quarantine. The legend, it's my name. <laughs> That's my outlaw Wild West name, is coronavi quarantine. There's tension in the air, or my name's not coronavi quarantine. I almost turned this show off and decided not to. I almost, you know, about like 10 minutes ago, I almost hit stop and just was going to delete this episode, and I'm so glad. Like, when I was talking about communists and neo-Nazis, I was like, I should turn this off and go pet Batty, which I will do soon. 
But uh, I'm glad that I kept this going because I've given myself a new name. My wi- I finally found that elusive Wild West nickname that I've been seeking my whole life. Coroni Vi Quarantine. I kind of say, hey, that kind of sounds like a coronavirus quarantine. Asshole. You know, it's like someone, I'm not original. Just name yourself after current events. <laughs> My nickname is is a variation. It, it's a different pronunciation of the current event that we're all participating in. Coroni vi quarantine. And uh, you know whatever I was talking about that led to that is in it's in that wind that I'm harnessing that that wind that I'm harnessing with my vortex fan on the ground over here it blew my thoughts across the room and I'll never find those again I was just saying something I've already said I know that much saying something I've already repeated over and over again probably the last few months something to do with people's thoughts people's communications the digital world and quarantine and coronavi uh, you know I, I'm sure I had something totally new to say. Well, I did because I came up with my new nickname. That was the new thing I had to say. Whew. I don't know. I was feeling down today. Sometimes you just got to close close everything out, you know. I I, uh, I did that episode earlier about true crime and reading about that case, and I just, I just cut it all out. You know, not that I think it was poisoning me or anything, but, you know, I could feel the low-grade virus, as I put it, the low-grade mind virus of a true crime deep dive getting to me. And, I I mean, I would just, I would put it just as simply as this. Today, I was starting to feel sad and paranoid. (laughs) I was starting to feel sad and paranoid earlier today. And so anything that could possibly contribute to that needs to go because there are enough reasons to feel sad and paranoid right now i don't like that combo i can deal with paranoia i can deal with sadness i don't like sadness and paranoia although it's healthier than anger and paranoia because anger and paranoia that's where people get on a slippery slope to doing horrible things sad and paranoid i don't know i haven't really thought of that combo Sad and paranoid. You know what your problem is? You're sad and paranoid. What happens when you're sad and paranoid? That's a question for the audience, whatever audience is out there. What happens, what do you do when you're sad and paranoid? It probably happens when someone's like, when someone's girlfriend hurt their feelings. <laughs> That's when you're like you're sad and you're paranoid when you're worried that your girlfriend is cheating on you. That's when you're sad and paranoid. Although that that's not why I was sad and paranoid. I, I was just I just think it's it, everything's kind of building up on people, you know. Everything's kind of mount, you know, it's mounting and it's that tension again. Uh, that was what I was. I was going to talk about that. I was going to bring up the tension and the temptation again, and you know, just the the tension that everything, the the great hyper everything, the great hyper anything is producing in us is also tempting us. 
It's it's also tempting us to do something. And that's kind of what happens when you get a piece of news that you're outraged by. Or when you see something that kind of, it sucks you in. It says, come on, be outraged. Come on. Come on, like, let's get mad at this. Let's get mad. You know, when, when that happens and you see something that almost feels like it's tailor-made just to gaslight your own little life, your own little brain. It's something that seems like it was designed to make you alone go crazy and get outraged. It almost feels like some little voice is like, come on, come on, get mad. It's that, it's, it's that temptation of tension. And when things are as tense as they are right now, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of temptation. But you can resist it. And it, it's actually, a, it feels a lot better to resist it and just kind of ride the tension out, kind of ride the anxiety out. If you can, if you're in a stable situation, if you can, as stable as things can get at the moment, you know, if you can kind of ride the tension out, and it's not ending, you know, it's not that it ends, but I do think you can kind of, uh, you know, just shake with it a little bit. Just shake with it. And definitely not immediately react. Because, I mean, the thing is, we're at a point in civilization with technology being what, what it is, with our modes of communication being what they are. You can sit there all day and go, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't, oh, I can't believe this. Oh, this now? Can I... Look at this. You know, you can do that. Like, you can literally spend all day and everything you look at and everything you consume is making you do that. Look what he said today. Oh, my God. Did you hear what he said today? Did you hear what he said today? Did you hear what, what, what the... what? You know who I'm talking about. When I say that, you know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> when I say when I'm when I'm mocking somebody, I guess who who is who spends all day going, did you, did you see what he said? You know, it's like you know exactly who that person is talking about, uh, and uh, and it's okay that they're upset at everything he does. They can that's their life, that's their life that they're living, and you in turn shouldn't be the person who gets upset at everything they do. Because that's another form of that temptation. It's like, just because you escape one variant, one mutation of temptation, the one where you react to everything the president says or does, you know, you can get sucked into the one where you're reacting to the person who's reacting to everything the president says and does, and you're still part of that chain. You're still part of that whole... uh, you know, it just runs downhill. It really just runs downhill. Where it's like, if the first thing doesn't get you, it's like if if the uh, if the alligator doesn't get you, then the great white shark will get you. And if the great white shark doesn't get you, well, the uh, the whale will get you. And if the whale doesn't get you, the minnow will get you, because you're so busy looking for the next big monster who's going to swallow you whole that. It's going to be the little thing that, like, swims in, into your urethra. 
<laughs> you know, it's like just when you're expecting the big thing to knock you on your ass or to eat you, eat you whole, it's the little invisible thing that swims inside of your body because you weren't looking for the small thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, the, this free-for-all is... It probably should come to an end here because it's actually still Friday Eve and not quite Friday. It's 11.45. Friday Eve free-for-all. Um, but uh, yeah, probably not a lot of substance here. Not a lot of substance, you know. It's, it, it's, at this point, it's just like my options tonight were... Looking at stuff. I'm taking a break between reading. I, I read Gulliver's Travels. I read the Dog Whisperers book. I'm waiting for a book about Elvis and mysticism in the mail that I'm very much looking forward to. It's about Elvis's interest in mysticism, so you know I'll have a lot to say about that. I have a lot of books stacked up that I haven't read, and I'm just kind of taking a break. Because when I read, as much as I love reading... And it's been a long time since I read a book and I thought, that sucked. It's been a long time since I felt that way. At the same time, though, I get kind of locked into a book where I kind of, I force, I get into kind of a discipline where I'm like, I have to read this much every morning or every night. I have to read three chapters. I have to, you know, and, and then I end up, it's enjoyable still and everything, but, you know, some books it doesn't matter. Some books you're just glued to. I love that feeling. You know, offhand, I mean, there have been many books in the last year or two that have felt that way for me. But when I read Kidnapped last year, Robert Louis Stevenson Kidnapped, I was just glued to that thing. I was, I was reacting, I was reacting to everything in that book, like the person who's scrolling through their social media, going, "Oh my God! Oh, can you can you believe this?" That's how I was feeling reading Kidnapped, and it was a good feeling in that case. It's good when it's fiction. When fiction makes you go, oh my God, every second, that's good fiction. Uh, but it's not always that way. Sometimes, you know, even books that I like and I'm getting a lot out of, sometimes that can be a chore. And sometimes I tell myself, oh, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a little break. It's like somebody who's like in a, it's like a serial monogamist. You know, there are those girls who are like, I'm going to take a break after this one. I'm going to take a break after this one. I'm going to take a break after this one. I'm, I'm going to take some time to myself after this, after this boyfriend. Next thing you know, oh, she's, she's in another long-term relationship. Nothing wrong with that. But it's still, it's funny to see that play out when it's like, oh, I'm going to take some time to myself. And then a week later, a new boyfriend, which, you know, it's fine. I'm not judging anybody. But I'm that way with books where it's, it's just like, you know, I'm going to take a break. I'm sick of forcing myself to read. Because I do get to that point where as much as I love a book, I reach this point where I just can't wait to finish it. And that happens to me with movies. It happens to me with everything. It happens to me with life. As much as I love life, sometimes I'm like, I, I can't wait to finish it. But with books in particular, I'll tell myself, I'm going to take a break. I think we maybe that'll happen, you know, when I die. I'll be like, I'm going to take a break between lives this time. My soul needs to just chill out in the void for a little while, and next thing I know, I'll be waking up as a baby again. 
but yeah, I do do that with books. And uh, I am taking a break right now, though. I'm waiting for my Elvis mysticism book to come in the mail. You know, maybe I'll read something else, not that, next. I don't know. But it can be good to take a break. It can be good to take a breather. And tonight, you know, my, I thought, what are my options tonight? I'm not going to go to bed too early. So my options are either to, like, look at stuff on the Internet and be shocked and be outraged. Not really, but still. Like, what am I even going to look at? I'm sad and I'm paranoid. <laughs> what are the most popular websites for sad and paranoid people? Every website. SoundCloud. I know exactly where sad and paranoid people go on the internet. SoundCloud.com slash every night's a school night. Also available on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Probably a couple other places. That's where sad and paranoid people go. They listen to every night's a school night. And they become even more sad and paranoid. Because this is the prime place for sad and paranoid content. Except now I don't feel sad and paranoid. As, as tonight has gone on. It's like all I had to do is like close a tab in Google Chrome about a serial killer. And I immediately felt less sad and paranoid. And trust me, I hate how many, like, computer and technology references I make these days. I mean, you know, I, I have other things around me. I have other things in my life. But this is the world we live in. This stuff is relatable. This is how it is. Who am I to deny how it is? And do I even have a problem with how it is? You know, do I have a problem with how things are? Do I have a problem with technology? I like hard copies as as much as the next guy, you know? But I don't know that I really have a problem with the digital realm. You know, it's, it's I, I, don't, I don't know that I feel really any aversion at all to the direction that humanity has taken. And even the stuff I don't like that's going on, this war on free speech, this lapse in logic this mental health collapse, this great tension. You know, even all of that stuff, to me, it's like, this is really interesting. If nothing else, I can say that this is really interesting to observe. I hope nobody throws a javelin into my eyeball. You know, I, I hope that nobody tries to kick me in the balls tomorrow. But at the same time, I'm I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm saying, I, I feel lucky that I get to observe all of this at the very least. It's almost like I was talking about like where you're having a debate with somebody and suddenly you're stumped. And you know you're not stumped because you're wrong. You're stumped because you're like, I have to find a way through this maze. I have to find a way to make this piece fit. And that's kind of how I'm feeling about the world right now where there's a lot of things I agree with, a lot of things I disagree with, a lot of things that I feel somewhere in between about, a lot of things that I feel somewhere out there about. They're not even in between anything. They're just out there floating. And in many ways, though, I'm just kind of like, you know, there's got to be a path through this puzzle. 
There's got to be a right way through this maze. There's got to be a place for this piece to fit. And that's not hope. It's just intrigue. It's just like some sort of intrigue with uh, where is all of this going? And I know that part of figuring that out and not I don't I don't even know that you can, but just part of going along for the ride is not immediately reacting to everything. It's not giving into temptation. No matter how much that tension builds, no matter how much that tension feels like it's wrapped around your throat or weighing heavy on your back, it's not giving into it. And it is just remembering that, you know, there's a way through the maze. There's a way through the maze, or my name's not Coroni Vi Quarantine. This is Coroni Vi Quarantine signing off on f- the end of Friday Eve. I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. Have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>